Hola amigos and amigas, welcome back to Aureliano Untangling. I hope you are well. In the last episode, we explored the second, no, the first, the first of the three lords of spiritual materialism, the lord of form. And in this episode, we are going to explore the second one, the Lord of Speech. As I may have shared with you during the, the first episode of this three-part series, that this Tibetan Buddhist teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, left uh, these teachings for his students because he wanted them to uh, understand themselves better, the uh, motivation for um, their own spiritual path, their own um, reason for engaging in the sitting practice of, of meditation, and he wanted them to to think about, to consider uh, the why am I doing this? Why am I um, spending my time and effort to uh, engage in this training, this um, meditation? that uh, Buddhists have been doing for 2,500 years that thoroughly explain suffering and the causes of suffering, the root causes of suffering, and that provide a training so that we become so intimate with uh, our own personal suffering that we begin to... um, uh, well, unravel it, uh, unmask it for, for what it is. But he, he did notice something about his students, and this was during the hippie era of the 70s, that his students uh, wanted to use these teachings and the practice of meditation for other reasons, for uh, reasons having to do with, more with uh, escaping their own reality, their own experience with, with their world, and, and that they were not interested in looking at their own suffering directly. They were much more interested in how do I transcend this suffering? How do I go beyond it? It uh, kind of reminded me of this yoga class that I attended a few days ago. You know, as one gets uh, older and you just can't uh, do the high-impact exercises that your body was able to withstand when you were younger, yoga is one of those alternative forms of exercises that one seeks. So, some weeks ago, I, I started taking yoga classes, and uh, I'm, uh, well, I'm beginning to to enjoy yoga. I, I can I see it. I'm beginning to to see why it's such uh, a popular form of, of exercise, and for some, uh, perhaps even more than just uh, a form of exercise. So there I was during this class, and uh, towards the end, as you. No, if you uh, do yoga, 
towards the end there's always this relaxation uh, period this meditative calm uh, period to uh, wind down and to uh, right um, and usually they play music and it's very calm and soothing and sometimes the yoga instructor starts talking during this calm period right so this yoga instructor was uh, attempting to uh, soothe our minds and put us in a very relaxed and tranquil state and he was saying things to us like you are so calm now and you are very relaxed and you're so relaxed that you no longer sense and feel your body you are no longer here you have beyond now you are somewhere else you are in a better place now you are in a higher realm now and uh, isn't it beautiful isn't it wonderful that you could leave your body like this and this world and all its problems and uh, right, find solace in this special, tranquil state of uh, complete and total. Now, look, I'm, I'm not kidding. It, it actually did want something like that, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm not ex exaggerating here. Okay, look, I'm not trying to talk smack about yoga and all the people that uh, love and do yoga, as I just uh, shared with you. I myself, I'm, I'm beginning to really get into, into yoga as a form of exercise. But as I was laying there and I was listening to this yoga instructor, as he was attempting to take us elsewhere in our mind, I said to myself, okay, this is precisely why I am a Buddhist, okay? <laughs> Buddhists are not into states of mind, ladies and gentlemen. This needs to be known. Everything about Buddhism is this whole idea of non-attachment and what that refers to it refers to the non-attachment of special states of mind <laughs> that are manufactured that are constructed that uh, are created by our our mere desire to create them and to go there and uh, by the mere diversion of our attention in that direction so if you get this point then you get Chogyan Trungpa Rinpoche's concern about his Western students and the reason why he so um, clearly and so eloquently presented these teachings having to do with spiritual materialism and it makes so much sense if we uh, take a moment and, and think about about this, that we are goal-oriented machines. That that's the so it seems that's the way we we think and we function and we act. 
there is something that is placed in front of us and our, our attention is uh, caught. It gravitates towards that and there is some um, belief, some conviction that it will bring us uh, something that we need and we head in that direction until we fulfill that or we fail at the attempt. In the meantime, what uh, we end up doing, uh, everything else uh, becomes secondary and uh, we stop paying attention to those around us and we stop paying attention gradually to um, the details of our life and uh, we stop uh, paying attention to things that uh, really ground us and uh, matter um, because their impact upon us uh, you know has these ripple effects uh, all of a sudden you are so involved and you're so focused and you're so determined that uh, you really f have this sense of neither being here nor there and life takes on this dreamy-like, uh, uh, fuzzy, uh, queasy quality to it. And that's because you, you're not even connected with your own body. And we can see how this plays out with the Lord of Form, which I discussed in the uh, last uh, episode. So I'm not going to go into it very much here. But... Uh, um, Definitely when we identify a source of pleasure for us, something that uh, we uh, really want a lot, we zoom in on it and that becomes our focus. It becomes our attention. It's like that uh, bullseye, uh, that, that uh, carrot in front of that donkey. And you, uh, you know, Love is such a big focus for us, isn't it? The moment we feel caught in that uh, uh, seductive, I really need to have this, this person pay attention to me and want me like I want this, this person. And uh, I'm going to do everything possible so that... <clears throat> This uh, person recognizes me like that and your whole life becomes that uh, going after this person and it seems that uh, you're so convinced, right? We become so convinced that until we achieve getting this person to give us what we want, what we need, pretty much all else does not matter. And this could very well be our exclusive territory, the territory of the Lord of Form for uh, our whole life, and for some indeed it is. It's never uh, escaped, uh, nothing else really um, replaces it, but for some people, uh, this activity at some point becomes disappointing. Disappointment is faced. Right? Uh, love 
and going after the object of your love and your uh, seduction doesn't quite do the same trick anymore. And you see that uh, uh, there's something faulty in these uh, these pursuits, and uh, you aspire for something, something else, something more effective, more effective from the point of view of who I am and what I am and what I aspire to be, what uh, I should become, so that uh, the um, highest possibility of me can be uh, encapsulated, can be represented by something that has longevity, uh, much more so than what uh, I was able to acquire through those other pursuits, the material pursuits of the Lord of Form that didn't bring me the uh, lasting satisfaction and security. So, from uh, this uh, perspective, having seen the, the limitations of engaging the world of, of form, the Lord of Speech, our intellect, provides us with a new hope. It gives us uh, a new goal, new objectives to, to shoot for, and uh, it's new territory for us to um, explore and rediscover ourselves in a more persistent and uh, lasting uh, form. But I think that the, the real crack here with the Lord of, of Speech as compared with the Lord of Form, uh, which puts the Lord of Form to, uh, to shame, it almost makes it seem as child's play in comparison, is the seemingly ability of uh, our intellect to create um, new worlds out of um, out of nothing. It is, after all, through through language that we externally, out of the chaos of the world, create uh, well and give give existence to objects and to the relationship uh, between objects can be had, can be established, and uh, out of there, right, you, uh, you have the basic structure for uh, stuff to be placed on top of, of each other, and before you know it, you, um, you create systems, you create um, categories, you're able to, uh, to generalize and uh, capture um, you know, interactions, uh, what's happening out there. And uh, this can be uh, very powerful. And out of this, a very strong, powerful identification is, uh, uh, well, it becomes even more solid. The sense of, yeah, this, uh, this is me in a much, much more powerful way, much more um, impressive way. And not only that, but uh, I can either create or partake in these uh, ideologies that are already there, all the isms of the world, all the, uh, you know, uh, religious isms, and even 
um, political isms and all the other ways that humans love to, um, well, come together and, and form these uh, identities that um, they love to belong to and that they love to compare and contrast others with and you know how it goes you know what uh, that uh, looks like and what we do with intellect is apparent today with social media what we do with others as we attempt to engage them but uh, we're not really engaging them we're not really dialoguing with with one another for the most part for the most part we are just uh, increasing that um, that divide, that uh, ideological, right, conceptual um, divide uh, with these categories uh, that we arbitrarily seem to, to create. And, you know, um, I'm a conservative and you're a liberal and uh, I'm a Trump supporter and, and you're not and uh, you're a moderate and that person over there is a libertarian and uh, that person uh, is uh, a free market uh, supporter and I'm a socialist or a communist and uh, this and that and uh, you have Christians and Muslims and Jews and uh, uh, you know even you're a non-theist you're, you're Buddhist and they all have these different perspectives right where they're, they're coming from and uh, sometimes uh, once in a while, we find common ground, but for the most part right now, it just seems that, you know, there's very little common ground among uh, all these various uh, uh, different groups that we love to identify ourselves with. Look, I have this teacher, colleague. His name is Richard. I'm sure Richard would not even uh, mind that uh, I mention him because we have uh, laughed about this. Richard and I politically are opposite poles. You know? <laughs> it's, it, it can't possibly get any more uh, extreme with respect to a lot of our political views. Online, we can be pretty, pretty approaching cruel with each other <laughs> you know and and when we come together because we see one another at work and sometimes we have lunch together you know I have to share with you none of that happens <laughs> we don't we don't relate to each other uh, as we do online, it's uh, sometimes we we do talk about politics, and we do have differences that are expressed, but it's it's done collegially. It's done in a very friendly, even funny manner that uh, we end up cracking up at uh, at one another, you know, and uh, we laugh about it and. We are, you know, we're very friendly with each other. But uh, outside of that 
being there in person, uh, talking to one another, we're back to the same crap again. <laughs> and that's just the way it is. So back in social media, as we relate to each other, it's all about protecting each other's territory, our, our political pissing ground, so to speak. And we do so at uh, the cost of, <laughs> of the uh, etiquette that we should follow with each other as we communicate with one another. And those rules simply go out the window. And But uh, once we're back again, relating to each other through social media, it's, <laughs> you know, it's back again to the same thing. And all good etiquette of proper uh, communication is thrown out the window. And we're like little kids again, elementary school kids, uh, tossing stuff, food at each other and uh, arguing with each other and protecting our cherished views. And why do we do this? And I suppose that the good news is that we conduct ourselves like this with each other through the filter of, and the distance of, and separation of, you know, the internet, the social media, and most likely most of us, when if we were to come face to face with people that we argue with and we don't treat very kindly, uh, most likely we would not conduct ourselves in, in the same way, like uh, as Richard and I don't conduct ourselves in the same way that we do as we, you know, in, in social media. So that's that's the good news, right? And I hope we, as a society, we would never get to that point that uh, we start treating each other in person as we treat each other right now through social media. But back to the the whole point behind the Lord of Speech. <clears throat> well, the identification with the way that we describe our world, the way that we refer to our world through by way of uh, our intellect, by way of uh, speech, by way of language, and this is you know, spoken word, this is the written word, this is um, by way of philosophical and ideological uh, systems and constructs and all of that that uh, allows us to to shape and moral mold and categorize and uh, conveniently right, describe our experiences in the world, that once that somehow, uh, especially as we invest ourselves, the very idea of who and what we are and how we see our, ourselves. Scooby, goodness, my doggy, startle me. Goodness, gonna give me a heart attack. He loves to lay behind me and all of a sudden he hears something outside and he, he has this deep bark. And sometimes when I'm... Uh, Sitting, practicing meditation, he just uh, startles the hell out of me. 
that's a, an interesting way to to practice. So wh- where was I? Uh, well, look. Uh, to the extent that we are able to uh, successfully right, create these ways of solidifying our world and our experience, uh, especially, right? And the more successful that we seem to be in our attempt to do that, the more that convincingly we do that, especially if others buy into it, and then we form these, these groups uh, where that... Uh, give us that sense of identity, belonging to, to a group that represents us. Well, to that extent, right, I must uh, also then exist even more convincingly. So th- this is what is at, at the heart of the Lord of Speech, as this Tibetan teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, shared with uh, his students in order so that they could understand the new world view that he was introducing to them, Buddhism, and especially the practice of meditation, so that they were better able to question their own motives for engaging this worldview and engaging the practice of, of meditation. And so this is what's at, at the heart here. Uh, and I probably should stop at this point. This is a good place to, to stop. In the next episode, I'll be sharing with you the third in this series on spiritual materialism, the Lord of Mind. And this uh, Lord of, of Mind metaphor is supposed to be the one that uh, is most uh, subtle and most difficult to to understand and work with and uh, so it should be it should be interesting uh, I hope you find it so so um, if you are compelled to please subscribe to this podcast channel so that when I'm ready to share this next episode with you on um, the Lord of Mind you can be notified. Well, amigos and amigas, hasta la próxima.